welcome back to the Collapsia Podcast. I'm your host, Sydney, and today I wanted to talk about picking up your childhood hobbies. So this semester, I'm in this marketing class, and one of our group projects was surrounded around um, us having to choose a certain company and then kind of seeing what demographics they would have been targeting. And we were talking about this company, Liberate, which is basically like a mental health studio. And my assignment was to kind of figure out the psychographic, you know, person who might want to partake. And one of the people that I uh, decided upon was a college student that is having trouble balancing, you know, life, work, and fun. And I got to thinking about that fun part. And I feel like I've talked about this a little bit before, but I feel like a large part of adulting involves kind of a inhibition of having fun. And I mean, you can take it from the angle of I'm 20, I'm young, you know, I'm just going to go out, have fun. There's always going to be that side of it. But then I also feel like while you can be in that phase of your life, there's very much two different phases of it. There's two different, you know, sides of it. You're either in a phase or in a season of fun and and going out and seeing friends, socializing. And then there's another season of productivity. You know, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to get the bag. I'm going to be productive. I'm going to be successful. You know, that kind of angle. And I don't think either of them are necessarily bad. You know, you need that drive and you also need to have that fun. But a lot of the time, it's hard to find that balance in between. And that's kind of what I was thinking about when I was kind of making this psychographic, you know, segment of the potential customers for this company. And I was thinking about it and I realized that more and more as you grow up, you realize that you kind of need to be able to mesh those two because you don't want to be in a totally destructive state of ignoring all of your responsibilities and just having fun, just seeing friends, just, you know, ignoring all of your responsibilities and your to-do lists and all these things you have to do. But, you know, you also don't want to be overly productive. And I feel like it's kind of a dangerous, um, not dangerous, but it's it's kind of a fine line to walk because I also feel like this applies to even the mindfulness space. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people online kind of teeter too far into the whole mindfulness thing, you know, and it's great to be mindful. It's great to have your practices. We don't also want it to take over your life and have no fun. You know, that's not going to be productive to yourself and your soul either. So how can we find that balance of kind of remaining productive and remaining and keeping that side of our personality, yet also kind of, you know, enjoying ourselves while doing so? Now, I've spoken a little bit about this in the past. I believe the episode was something like Life, the Balancing Act or something of that notion. And I feel like one of the biggest, you know, tidbits of advice that I had from that episode was kind of the tool that a planner provides and how, you know, kind of trying to fit that into your schedule and kind of that logistical type of standpoint when it comes to having this balance. But what if you're in the position where it's like, I don't know how to introduce this into my life. And I'll tell you about something I learned in class called post-inhibitory and no, sorry, post-inhibitory rebound and how you can kind of use that to kind of see where 
you could be missing out on fun or things that you might have overlooked over the years of, you know, focusing on education, career, you know, those types of aspects of life. Now, without getting too far into the biological, you know, logistics of it, post-inhibitory rebound is essentially where, um, you know, let's let's take an example, right? This is the example my teacher took in, as well in clinical neuroscience. And she was saying that, you know, if you, for example, are raised in a household where multiple languages are told or taught to you, let's say that one parent speaks one language and the other parent speaks another, well, your brain is kind of going to set up the boundaries, not boundaries, I'm sorry, set up the roots for both of those languages. You're hearing it, you're hearing it, you're hearing it, that's getting repeated to you, repeated to you, and you're kind of, you're building up a sort of branch for each language, and eventually, you'll start to employ your speech on one of the languages, or maybe two if there's even more languages. You'll focus on a certain one, and that will become the one that becomes excited, and that's the one that you're going to continue to expand upon because you're employing speech. Now, what's going on to that other language? You know, you you extended that branch, and it's got a foundation in your brain, but it doesn't really need to get used. So over time, it just gets suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. Now, I hadn't heard of this concept before, but I realized it's kind of what happened with me. So I grew up speaking French first and then English. But over time, you know, I went to a French American school. So both of those were reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. But I had this really close friend when I was younger and her mother was Cuban and she would speak Spanish to us. And I realized I was picking up some of the Spanish and sometimes I'd answer in Spanish or she would just speak in Spanish to us and I would answer in English or whatever it was. But It kind of built a foundation for the language in my brain. Then I went on with my life. I went to elementary school. I went to middle school. And along those lines, along that time, I stopped learning Spanish. You know, I went to a French-American school. It was basically just French and English, half and half. And they didn't really introduce languages to us again until we reached towards the end of middle school, I believe. No, the end of elementary school and, like, start of middle school. That's when you had to take a third language. You know, some people would take German, Spanish, Mandarin, you know, all of those choices. And I chose Spanish. And, you know, I decided to learn it again. I was kind of doing well and I was continuing to learn. It was kind of reinforcing those nodes, you know, reinforcing that foundation that I'd created. Then over time, I stopped learning Spanish again. And so I lost it again, or so I thought, you know, I was like, I don't speak any Spanish. I learned it like when I was younger, forgot it, learned it again, forgot it. You know, it's gone, whatever. And In high school, picked up Spanish again, had to take it, sophomore year, freshman and sophomore year I took Spanish. And, you know, I was doing okay, but I wasn't doing great, you know, because it's kind of hard to learn a language in a classroom, in my opinion, you know, you kind of need that, um, you kind of need to be placed in an environment in which you're going to have to use the language and you're, it's kind of like a fight or flight, like I must learn this language or else I'm not going to be able to like get food, get shelter, you know, be able to tend to myself and others, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of emergency, you know, type of aspect is what will help you learn the language. So I wasn't doing the best job, you know, I wasn't doing amazing. I was doing fine. Like my grades were good, but I wouldn't say that my 
Spanish was proficient. And, you know, I even went so far to do like an exchange program and I went to Spain, I went to Almeria and it was amazing. But my family there, like the host family was speaking to me in English. You know, they realized I was like trying to speak Spanish and then it would just kind of fall off or like my grammar and like I was making so many, you know, conjugation mistakes. And so they kind of just swapped to English for me and all of our like host families kind of did the same for everyone except like two kids that were really, really good at Spanish. So that didn't really help, you know. And so I went on with my life, you know, assumed I had forgotten the language again. I'm like, well, you know, that's too bad. I know some of it, I guess. And I know French and it's kind of similar. So I was like, you know, like I'll be fun, whatever. Now, when I got my coffee shop job, I realized that, you know, a lot of people who work there didn't speak, you know, proficient English. And I realized that I might have known just slightly more Spanish than they knew English. So what would we do? We would basically just speak in Spanish. And I found that that was the point when I'm like, I took a step back and I was like, wait a minute, I speak Spanish. And this post-inhibitory rebound is actually the explanation for why that was possible. So I just assumed when I was able to speak Spanish, okay, no, this is because I speak French. Like, they are so similar. That's definitely why, like, I'm just pairing the words in my brain. And then sometimes, you know, I would just, like, goof around and speak in French to my coworkers. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, said, I don't understand anything. Like, what are you saying? I'm like, do you really not? Like, they're literally, this is why I can speak Spanish. Like, do you not get it? Like, can you not understand me? But they could not understand me at all. And I thought that was so interesting, but I I didn't quite get it. But basically, post-inhibitory rebound is kind of that foundation that I had initially, you know, set forth with my Cuban, um, my friend's Cuban mom, you know, like she would speak Spanish to us. And I was kind of, I was just picking it up, picking up, kept picking it up. And that kind of set up that sort of Spanish, you know, branch in my brain And me learning it again and again was just exciting it a little bit more, exciting it a little bit more. And when I was put in that situation at work where I absolutely had to speak Spanish or else no communication was really possible, and that kind of put me in that like fight or flight, okay, I must get my point across and I must understand what they have to tell me because it's going to be important in our workflow, you know? So what happens essentially when you kind of reach back into those branches that you once did what happens is that those nodes, those those like neuronal networks are going to get hyper excited because once you suppress something long enough, the second it gets excited, it's going to blow up in your brain. So that's kind of why you'll find that if you heard a language just a little bit when you're younger and then you try to pick it up again when you're older and you're like, wait a minute, why is this? Why am I kind of getting this? Why am I kind of learning this quickly, you know, quicker than I would have had I tried now? It's because of those branches that you set forth at the beginning. Now, what does this have to do with hobbies and fun? Now, this post inhibitory rebound kind of got me thinking like, okay, this, you know, relates to language, but what else does it relate to? So I don't know, it depends on everybody's upbringing and what you did, but I feel like this is kind of applicable to everyone. Let's say that your uh, parents put you in some sort of extracurricular activity when you were a kid. Let's say it's piano, for example. You know, I feel like a lot of um, kids in school probably learn an instrument. I don't know what instrument it might have been for you. You know, that much is, you know, that's you and me. But, you know, 
that was a hobby that was kind of set the foundation for when I was younger. I started playing piano when I was three, so I, I recognize that it's very early. But, you know, I started playing when I was three. So that, what does that tell me now, knowing this information? I'm like, well, that kind of gives me a boost if I so choose to learn piano today. Because I did, I mean, I played throughout my life and I didn't really feel that like passion for it. So I wasn't really like excited about it or really wanted to, you know, become super like great. And I was doing a lot of classical pieces, like none of the pop or like nice songs or jazz or anything like that. You know, I was very like classical, classically trained with lessons and everything. But you know, what if I chose to pick that up again, but as a hobby, you know, as a way to have fun. It would kind of be facilitated for me because I had that foundation for it. And it kind of made, got me thinking about what else is there from back then that I might want to pick up again and try now. Because what it's going to do is that not only is it going to be slightly easier for you to do because of that foundation, then it could also, you know, have this kind of nostalgic factor to it. And personally, I'm a very nostalgic person. I love to do things that I loved doing when I was younger as well. And I like to think back and, you know, think back on good memories. And I feel like that is kind of a tool for us to kind of reconnect with our younger selves, which can actually be very healing. Let's take art, for example. My mom has tons of my, like, art pieces from when I was younger around the house. And when I was growing up, I would look at them and be like, oh, like, little Sydney, like, that's cute. Like, this is a cute little, like, mug thing. I had, like, made a clay shoe that was basically, like, a ballerina slipper. And the heel was the Eiffel, uh, the Eiffel Tower from Paris. And it's, like, a cute little art piece, you know, and it, it was evident that I had this, like, passion for art when I was really young, you know, although they were school projects, there was also, like, camp projects and other things, and, like, jewelry making, you know, what was the, what were those rubber bands that everybody made, you know, that you made bracelets out of, those, like, bands, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but I kind of saw that kind of come back when I had my, like, jewelry making phase, you know, these kind of childish, childlike hobbies, can I actually, like, lead us to more kind of fun and just silly fun in our day-to-day lives now as adults? As we grow up, I feel like there's this kind of subconscious agenda to kind of suppress all of those childlike tendencies that we had. And that makes sense, you know, logically. You need to be able to regulate your emotions when you're an adult, which is something you're still learning when you're a kid. You need to be able to self-sustain, which is not really necessary because you're under your parents' care when you're a kid. You need to, you know, build all of these skills that aren't quite necessary when you're a kid. But I feel like there's almost too much suppression of our child selves when we lead into adulthood, which I think can be kind of one of those subconscious manners of standing in our own way. Because what can we learn from our childish, you know, dreams and wishes? A lot of the time, you'll distance yourself so far away from what you originally wanted to do when you were a kid to the point where you're almost like, what are my passions? You know, what do I like to do? How do I get to know myself in that way? Because for so long, a lot of us, our personality becomes, oh, I am a student. I am from this place. I speak these languages. I am in this activity. But there's a whole other world that we've kind of put aside. And, you know, we have the the freedom to return to. And I think we forget that a lot of the time. 
So recently I've been having this creative burst where I've been, I've been painting a lot more. I've been doing a lot of, you know, creative, um, endeavors that I wouldn't necessarily have done in the past, say, 10 years. But I'm trying to think about these days, I'm trying to think about what would little Sydney like to do. And I feel like a lot of the times when I was trying to figure out what my hobbies were, that that was my biggest thing. I was like, well, what do I like to do? Because especially with technology, you know, you can be so distracted and kind of like watch your way pass by you you know like you'll spend so much time watching these shows that it almost becomes your experience as well but the truth is you're not actually out there experiencing it you're watching other people experience their lives and that's not really the way that I wanted to live mine so I started to turn back and think well what did she like to do and can I still do that now and a lot of the time the answer is yes and the thing is that you might surprise yourself Maybe those old, you know, pathways can lead you to something that you might end up doing in the future. So let's say when you were younger, you loved to put on plays with your cousins or your friends, and you'd create these performances and these these excursions, these skits with your friends. And then you go on into your, you know, life, high school, adulthood, and somehow you end up in, say, finance. It's like, what? What happened? What happened along the way? And you're thinking to yourself, what can I do right now to have fun? What can I do? And you think back, okay, what did I like to do when I was younger? Let's say I like to hang out with friends. Oh my gosh, and we used to do those skits. You know, maybe I'll join an improv group or something to do on Thursday afternoons, you know. That can be such a fantastic, you know, mode of getting that dopamine, that serotonin, and who knows, maybe you'll, you know, leave finance and join the theater. <laughs> I really don't know. But I'm just saying that it's a great tool to help us kind of, you know, gain more hobbies, you know, into our palette of our day-to-day lives. I also feel like, you know, it's part of development for sure to learn and explore, but it's very important to kind of employ that type of mindset into adulthood as well. It's important to keep learning and keep exploring and keep, you know, searching for new, you know, aspects of experience that we can, you know, reach out and and get, you know, I don't know if I express myself really well there. But, you know, it's very important to almost play as adults, because that also just keeps your brain active. A lot of people who live to live very long lives with very, you know, active brains or people who keep learning, keep pushing themselves, you know, mentally and keep having these excursions and this laughter, lightness and joy. And a lot of that can come from our, you know, childish tendencies. So I guess that's all I have for you guys today. Quick episode, but let me know your thoughts and let me know a hobby that you used to do when you were a kid that you might want to pick up again because it could, it could literally be the best thing in your life. Like, let's say, you like to draw outfits. What if you just end up starting to design clothes or something? Who Literally, who knows? But it can also be on a smaller scale than that, you guys. Let's say you like to read before and you just read now. It'll give you so much joy and it's a good way to spend time other than like staring at a screen all day. So yeah, I went for a run this week. I used to run when I was a kid. Now I run. Well, I don't run. I ran once, but we'll see where it takes me. We'll see where it all takes us. But yeah, that was my... That was my episode for the week, and I hope you guys enjoyed. Let me know your thoughts. Reach out at Pod on TikTok and Instagram. 
If you want to share your thoughts, give it a follow. And um, definitely, definitely leave a review, you guys. You know the drill. You know the drill. But yeah, that's all I have for today. And I have to go to work. But I have yet an, am- an amazing rest of your day and a great weekend. And we shall talk next week. Bye.